word that is Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, that's found in the inside of your bulletin on page 4. I'm going to read a little bit more of this um, that is not in your bulletin. I'm going to read the first part of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 1, and then uh, it'll, it'll lead into Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. So this is Isaiah 1, and then it'll go all the way to Isaiah 9, 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land before the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you read the newspaper anymore, that archaic thing that has print on it. Certainly all of us might turn to our tablet or to our computer to see what is going on with the world. And as I turned on my computer yesterday to look at the headlines just to get a sense of what was going on in the world, these were some of the headlines that stood out to me. Uh, The Indonesian police arrested 11 for suspected treason. Uh, And if they find out that they were treasonous, they will kill them. South Korean opposition vows to impeach Park Jun-hye next week. There's a host of issues going on with corruption there. A USC grad student fatally stabbed his mentor after a personal dispute, police say. There were several articles on the Ohio State killings. And on the front page of the New York Times Digital, they had an article called The Human Toll of Terror, a look at the lives of 247 men, women, and children who were cut down in mass killings in six countries. And they proceeded to list out in excruciating detail these six different events in a single week and all the carnage that piled up as a result of them. It makes you want to not read the news at all, right? We see everywhere pictures of out-and-out war, conflict, anger, dispute that often are boiling over into violence or thinly veiled at least, bubbling beneath the surface. All is not well on planet Earth. I don't know if you've watched the latest... uh, Uh, I was reading about it last night. Uh, Trump, uh, President-elect, received a call 
elected to take a call from the president, quote unquote, of uh, Taiwan. First time a president has done so since the Jimmy Carter era. Basically, the dynamics are this. There's a thinly veiled balance of power. Taiwan, the People's Republic of China, see Taiwan as part of China. But they're a separate democratically elected, uh, you know, I won't use the word country. Dare I use the word country? And uh, so it's this one of the shell games where the, everybody knows they are, but the U.S. isn't supposed to recognize them. And uh, needless to say, everybody's up in arms because of threats of destabilization of the era, of, of the area there. There's a thinly veiled peace, if you will, over there. As I thought about that, I thought about life and relationships. Sometimes there's a thinly veiled peace that we have within our own circle of relationships, right? Kind of homeostasis that we have with our brother and our sister or our parents. You know, you don't bring up that and I won't bring up this. We'll just all agree that there are certain areas that we won't touch. It's not really peace, but at least war doesn't break out. We have to ask the question, is there such a thing as peace on earth? Will there ever be so? That's why I wanted to talk about this second present that God gives. You'll remember we're going through this Advent season and our Advent sermon series is Christmas presents from our Heavenly Father. Last week the present was the present of hope. Now I want to talk about the present of peace. For Jesus in this passage is called the Prince of Peace. And if there's one thing that we really need, it's peace. More than simply an absence of conflict, thinly veiled disputes, sort of tamped down, but rather a true peace, a lasting peace, a flourishing peace, where we can know and love one another, where we can even be at peace with ourselves. And so Jesus is the one that the scriptures say is the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Peace, the ruler over peace. Jesus, in fact, is the only one who can bring peace because he is the Prince of Peace. But to experience his peace, he must first become our Prince. We will only know his peace when he is our Prince. How do we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? I want to look at three other titles that are given in this particular passage. Jesus has given four names and the reason that he is the Prince of Peace is that he also holds these other three titles. That he is number one, the Wonderful Counselor. Number two, that he is the Mighty God. And finally, number three, that he's the Everlasting Father. It's only because he is also these things that he can bring peace to the world, peace into our lives. Well, let's look at these three particular points. Number one, he's the wonderful counselor. We've never known true peace. We live in one of the safest countries in the world. But true peace in terms of true shalom, absence of conflict and flourishing relationships did exist at one time on planet Earth. A long time ago in a garden. There was a man and a woman and God. Remember the first human beings, Adam and Eve, 
walked in the garden, created in the image and splendor of God. They were naked and unashamed. They were open and honest with one another. They were not self-conscious. They were God-like. And they were in relationship with God and there was flourishing and beauty. They called that Eden, if you will. But man is at war with God now, isn't he? That peace was destroyed and what was it destroyed for? The serpent came along and said to man, did God really say not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If you eat from it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Jesus, um, excuse me, Satan appealed to a higher peace. There was a higher level of knowledge and understanding, a higher level of flourishing. <clears throat> Adam and Eve ate from the garden and war came into the world. If you'll remember, God pronounced this curse upon uh, a man and woman and, that there, and also a prophecy that there would be war in between Satan and God. There would be enmity. Some of the background of this passage and one of the reasons why I wanted to read it, all of it, is because it's written by the prophet Isaiah seven centuries before the birth of Christ. And it's written to a group of people, the Israelite nation, who has been expelled from their home front. If you remember, God took this people to himself, Israel. He called them his firstborn son. And he told them that he intended to bring them to a place flowing with milk and honey. A land in which they could flourish. A land in which if they followed his ways and observed his laws, they would find peace. But king after king after king refused to follow God's ways. And God sent prophet after prophet to warn them. And ultimately, the Assyrian nation, the Babylonian nation first came and took Israel into captivity and pulled them away. And so these people are now living in exile in a land far away from home, far away from the temple where God is chosen to has chosen to dwell. And they are defeated. But along comes this prophecy. Isaiah says, it's not all over. You know, when we look at the world, and I talk to people, I try to talk to people about Jesus Christ all the time. People sometimes say to me, there can't be a God because look at all the evil in the world. Look at all that's wrong. There was a God, he wouldn't let that happen. And I talk to them and I tell them, you know, the problem with the world is not God. The problem with the world is us. It's humanity. We're in rebellion against God. God wants to show us the way to peace, but we're not interested in following it. That's why the world is so screwed up. We're just a modern day result of uh, a picture of captivity like the Israelite nation. I love that song uh, by Alabama, you know. I'm, I'm in a hurry to get things done, right? I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really want to do is live and die, and I'm in a hurry, and I don't know why. I never can quite seem to get to that land, that promised land, whatever it is. You ever had a promised land, by the way? Sort of a picture of if I got there... 
everything would be okay. You know, peace with my family, certain job that I want, certain level of flourishing. But there's no peace. And there's no peace because mankind has been expelled from the Garden of Eden. But one has been sent, right? To those living in the darkness, says Isaiah, a light has dawned. There's a new one who's coming and his name is Wonderful Counselor. Now when you hear the words Wonderful Counselor, what do you think about? I'm married to a therapist, so I think of my wife, Leellen. And her name shall be Leellen, for she is a wonderful counselor. But I want to suggest to you that we're not thinking of those words in the way that Isaiah is saying them. Because a counselor is not only a therapist. A counselor is somebody else, right? Counselor is an attorney. You ever see this when you go by? Ken Dodal, PC, attorney and counselor at law. See, the word attorney and the word counselor are interchangeable with one another. When we think about Jesus as the wonderful counselor, we think about him as someone who has knowledge and wisdom to impart and give to us if we would but hear it. But that's not what this is saying. His name is wonderful attorney. And the word wonderful, if you wanted to change it uh, uh, to synonyms of it in the Hebrew would be, Hebrew would be spectacular, would be exceptional, would be unparalleled. He is the unparalleled attorney. Now if you've committed a crime, you need to get yourself a pretty good counselor at law, right? A pretty good attorney at law to represent you. One of the worst things, you know, you, you hear is if, you're, if you can't afford attorney, an attorney, one will be provided to you, right? At the court's expense. But that attorney has multiple cases to take care of, right? You want to go out and you want to buy the best attorney you can who's going to be focused on your particular case. Because the typical attorney, the court-appointed attorney, is too busy to really get into the ins and outs. But guess what? There's an attorney here, a wonderful attorney, who has an appointed for us who are in captivity, and he has been appointed by God himself. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. We have a wonderful attorney that has been appointed by God to represent us before him in the court of law. The reason we have no peace is because of our transgression. And you can have no peace in the world until you have peace with God. And so what's going on here is that this wonderful counselor has come into the world to plead our case by taking our place. I mean, even the best attorney, you pay money to is going to focus on your case is going to try to win it for you but at the end of the day whether they win or lose they're still going home to their bed aren't they they're still going home to their supper they might be bummed for the night if they lost their case but you're the one who's going to death row 
but not this attorney. See, a wonderful counselor is the sort who gives you some good advice to follow. But this wonderful attorney came to give us good news. Because this attorney was willing to plead our case by taking our place. Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to bring us good news that we might be received and accepted not based on our record but on His. Romans 5.1 puts it this way, Therefore, because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. See, Isaiah 700 years before Christ is saying that one is coming, a spectacular attorney who will step into your shoes, who will stand in the dock, who will ultimately go to the cross to face the wrath of God, that you could have peace. But we live on the other side of the cross, don't we? What is all this to say? What does this mean? It means that even in the midst of the world that we are experiencing and the tumult and the conflict, that we can have peace now in our souls with the one who made us. Peace begins from within, not from without. So do you. We do have the right to reject the counsel who has been appointed to us. We are able to say to the judge, I'll pick my own counsel, thank you. I'll represent myself. I'm sure when the other attorney hears some, oh yeah, they're going to represent themselves. It's a slam dunk, isn't it? What do I have to bring before the Father to plead my case? What's that song, my one defense, my righteousness? Oh Lord, how I need you now. He's a spectacular attorney. Have you put your hopes in Him? Have you retained Him to represent you? He is the Prince of Peace beginning in the heart for all who would receive Him first as wonderful attorney. This brings me to my second point. He's not only the wonderful attorney, He's the mighty God. For to us a child is born, a son is given. How could the people who were in Assyria understand that a son who would be given is the son? That is Jesus' name at its core, the name that he wants to be known as. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For to us, the Son is given. Remember John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This one, the Son, all things were made by Him and through Him. He is before all things and all things in Him hold together. At the beginning of creation, there was the Father and there was the Son and there was the Spirit. 
This one, the son who came as a baby. I don't know about you guys in that Advent reading, but I bet everybody wasn't really listening to anything they were saying. They were watching that little child, right? It's just, he's like, he's like protoplasm or something in the beginning, you know? He's just staring. He's just a little child. He seems so innocent, so fragile. And in the same way, in, in that stable in Bethlehem, this little child born into the world was simultaneously managing and upholding the universe. Managing every single cell, every single process, every single orbit. The Son is a Son. Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. And He's Lord over death. Behold, Jesus said, remember in Revelation, I was dead and I am alive again and I hold the keys to Hades and death. When Jesus would walk through Jerusalem or He'd walk through Israel, the devils would see him, the demons, and they'd say, what, what, what are you going to do to us? What do you have to do with us? We know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're over all things. Found Prince Abdullah of Jordan. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Well, then what is his territory? Should be the Prince of something, right? Well, the answer is simple. Everything is his everything belongs to him the government shall be on his shoulders and the increase of his government and peace has no end all these other crown princes will come to, to, uh, to their kingship and possibly have children and there will be a line of succession but there is no succession for the son and so he, the, his princeship of peace, it is the nature of his kingdom that is described rather than the territory of it. Because all belongs to him. And so what is described is what kind of kingdom he will rule. He is the prince of peace because he brings peace. And he will uphold it with justice and with righteousness. See, all of these other earthly rulers, when they come into power, they cannot guarantee the quality of their kingdom, can they? They can guarantee that they'll be in power. They'll put reforms and measures in place to try to improve the quality of life of the people under them. But not Christ. No, rather he stamps his kingship by describing what his land will be like. For he is the Prince of Peace. As wonderful counselor, he brings peace into our hearts. But this prophecy is also speaking of the kingly rule and kingdom that will come on earth. Remember Jesus Christ who comes into the world and says, Good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near to you. It's coming. It's advancing. I appreciate one of the things that my eldest son, Mark, wrote. If you had a chance to read uh, that blog post before he passed away about heaven and how he longed for the time when there would be no 
anger and people wouldn't hate one another. That there would be joy and there would be excitement about being in the presence of God. And he remarked that I have to get a new body for that. Because my old body would burst with joy at being in such a place. See the beauty and why we get the presence of hope is because one day there will be a kingdom of peace on the earth. Don't believe the bumper sticker that says in case of rapture this car will be unmanned. Because it is the wicked that are taken away. And save for the excellent attorney, so would we be. But heaven shall come to dwell with earth and this land will be resurrected. And I saw up in the sky the heavenly Jerusalem coming down, dressed as a bride for her husband. Jesus Christ came as the lamb and he shall come again as the lion. And so what does he say to us in the meantime? Don't worry about your clothes and about food. The world worries about those things. But seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. We have a kingdom that is coming, ruled by a king who has the ability to pronounce the nature of his kingdom because of who he is as a king. So where is your citizenship? Do you put your hope in the things of this world? And so when you read the news, your stomach is literally in knots. Is our life, is our world ever going to get better? Our citizenship is not in this land. Our citizenship is in heaven and we await a king from there who will rule and uphold that kingdom with justice and righteousness. And until it comes, we seek to hasten it by living as citizens of that kingdom in this one. Does not Jesus say in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. He gives us the present of peace because He is the mighty God who has the power to bring into being a new kingdom, to speak it into existence. A kingdom earmarked by peace. This brings me to my final point. He gives us the present of peace because He's the everlasting Father. We know that Jesus Christ, in the sense, is not the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but He rules in His Father's stead, doesn't He? He makes us children of God. Why does it speak of Him as everlasting Father? Because ultimately this kingdom isn't a kingdom at all. It's a family. You know, it's one thing to be a citizen of a kingdom, right? But to be a citizen of a kingdom, there are certain rules you must follow. This is one of the big issues that we're dealing with right now. With the new president coming in, what's he going to do in terms of immigration? All these people, are they going to be deported? Are they going to have to leave this land and go somewhere else? Sometimes we can think about the kingdom of God like that, right? Gosh, I'd sure like to be a part of that land. And as long as I follow the rules, I'm going to get to stay there. 
But do you think Fred, Prince Frederick of Denmark ever worries about getting deported from Denmark? It's his land, right? By birthright, it's his. Because he's a son of the king. Our God is an everlasting father who's seeking more than a kingdom of uh, 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 citizens and subjects, but rather sons and daughters. Because we are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but sons. And since you are sons, God has made you an heir. The ultimate aim of God the Father has been not subjects to rule, but children to love. And so he sent the eldest son. You ever have this happen when there's an argument between a dad and one of the children? Child stomps off. They're angry, they're upset, they shut the door. Well, along comes the brother, the elder brother or sister. Their job is to make peace. Now we know how this argument went, right? I mean, at best, I'm a flawed father. I make mistakes. But if when we stomp off away from God, it's not because he did something wrong. God has sent his eldest son to bring us back to the Father. Indeed, to make us sons. We need not fear being deported from this heavenly kingdom when we go out of line. For it belongs to us. So in a way, we're waiting to be rejoined to the family that we truly long for. I had the pleasure of having an adopted daughter. And this story is very, rings very true to my heart. I remember taking our boys and heading down to Nicaragua to meet their sister, who didn't have a clue, by the way. And them playing with her. And part of the reason when Lee Ellen had to stay down there for 90 days she, uh, Daniel stayed down with her because Maria had absolutely no idea what the interactions between a child and a parent would look like, would she? She didn't. How would she? She's been an orphan all of her life. But rather by seeing the relationship, she could put in a picture, if you will, what Lee Ellen was saying to her in words. That's why God the Father sent Jesus Christ, the God-man, to see how the Father loved the Son and how the Son loved the Father so that we could learn what God really desires for us and from us. Not subjects, not citizens, but sons and daughters. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. I don't know where you're at in your heart internally. I don't know where you're at with your situation externally. But the present of peace is now. The peace that is in our hearts of being reconciled with God. The peace 
that comes from knowing that the mighty God has our hand and is walking ahead of us and leading us in a path that though we don't understand will ultimately lead to Him. If you want this peace, you must make Him your prince. It's only when you put your life in His that He can do something with it. Extraordinary. Beautiful. Revolutionary. God came to bring us the present of peace. He came to give us His Son. And my earnest hope for you today is that you would unwrap this present and enjoy Him in all of, this, all of His fullness. For unto us a child is born. And unto us the Son is given. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace, the one who can come into the raging storm of my heart and say, hush, be still. Jesus, you came to bring peace in my life. You came to bring peace in relationships among your children. And ultimately, you will bring peace in the world. Lord, let us seek your kingdom that is advancing day by day, moment by moment. Let us settle for nothing less than your rule and nothing less than your family. For you who have promised are faithful. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.